you can go ahead and pass those. Um, real quickly, just to draw your attention, I mean, there's a couple things on the back of your bulletins, but the, the probably the most important one is tonight's our last night for, for the semester. Uh, we're going to be taking a break, as we always do, our kids' ministry, our youth, and our adult ministry takes a pause. We kind of run on the semester system here. So as it says in the back here, our, we're going to be picking back up September 4. So um, I hope you guys have a great break and have some opportunities to just do a lot of family and friends stuff. Um, the one thing on there, uh, if you haven't taken part in that Engage tool, this is this online tool. We talked about this some time ago. If you're new with us, you haven't heard about it. But there's this online tool. I would encourage you this summer to utilize something like that. Have some sort of a mechanism in place for your spiritual growth to, to say, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna really going to grow. I'm not going to just sit back and um, kind of become stale in, uh, in my faith and my relationship with God, but really grow. So that's one tool that's, that's there for you. Um, this last week on, on Friday, uh, I took part in a, went and attended out at Timberline Windsor, went with my dad and my brother, and we took part in this uh, Chick-fil-A leader, leader cast. And a couple others did it? Okay, good. Um, and, and it was awesome. It was just this great opportunity where out of, I think it was Atlanta, Georgia, where, th where they had this, uh, all these great speakers on leadership, and the theme was simply lead. It was a whole idea of you know, having simplicity in your life. And, and so they had these fantastic leaders, guys like Andy Stanley and fantastic leaders like Condoleezza Rice and, and so many different people talking on what it means to lead and, and, and all the complexities of it. And so how do you see simplicity in it? And there was one guy who was there speaking, his name is Michael Hyatt. Um, Michael Hyatt was uh, recently named by Forbes magazine as one of the top 50 social media influencers in 2013. So this is a guy who has big impact. He understands culture and understands relationships and how that impacts. And there was a, a, an article that he had written online I was looking up afterwards. And, and the whole idea of the article was how do you, how do you build trust in a culture where you know, there's, there's a lot of lack of trust and you know, investments and I'm not sure if I can trust you. And so he's talking about what does that look like. And one of the principles he talked about was this idea of um, being transparent, self-communication, like, like brutal, brutal self-communication in, in companies, in relationships, whatever it might be. And it's this idea that people will not trust you unless you share yourself with them. He pointed out warts and all, I mean everything, the whole person. And he says you have to take this risk and you have to step into a place of vulnerability and this, this creates rapport um, and, and it builds rapport that's, that's even been lost. And he says, but it's not, you know, it's not like a gimmick, it's not a technique. He said, you know, it's got to be authentic. And he said the reason this builds trust is because you, you demonstrate that you trust, that you love by saying this is who I am. I want you to know me. And there's something kind of vulnerable about that when we say just, I want you to know who I am, who I really am. We're in this series asking this question, what is God like? And our goal in the series has been, we want to know God better kind of for two reasons. Because I, if he's really there, I want to trust him. And, and secondly, I want to really be able to worship him more. I want to have more of a sense of like adoration of awe of who is, who is this God. And so like Michael Hyatt talked about, this idea of building trust, God has initiated, the whole story of the Bible is the idea that, that God initiated self-revelation. He said, I want you to know who I am, what I'm like. 
And of course, at the end of the day, we find out something about ourselves because he said, you're actually made of my image. So when you, when you get to know me, which is going to be the best thing you've ever experienced in your life, as a byproduct, you're going to know yourself more fully than you've ever dreamed because you're made in my image. And what's so cool is that God reveals himself in really plain ways. In fact, the Bible, this collection of 66 books, which is really just God's self-revelation in history through through this people and then people's response back to him and all these different kinds of literature. Um, what's so cool is y- you don't have to be some academic philosopher to grasp it. He doesn't, he doesn't hide who he is in some sort of esoteric secret riddles. It's this self-revelation of what he is like and again as a byproduct what we are like. And so what we've been doing here the past few weeks is looking at a couple different things, one of the, or a couple different um, attributes of God. And so we've looked at this idea that God is, pull this forward, and hopefully you guys can see this. This idea that God is triune, that, that he is, he's not just personal, he is multi-personal, this idea of the Trinity, that within the one God, there are these three centers of consciousness, this sort of dynamic relational dance that has been going on from all eternity, and creation is the spilling over of, of relationship into creation. We also looked at this idea that God is omnipotent. We see they're kind of... Om- in the breakdown of the word omnipotent, all-powerful. God is completely sovereign. There is nothing in this universe, not an atom, over which God is not in control. Totally sovereign. Nothing escapes him. Last week we looked at the idea that God is holy. That this God that we serve is the very standard of what is good. That he's not beyond good and evil. And so our, our understandings of what is right and wrong are, are, are elevate, from, come from him, descend from him. And then tonight, this is our last one that we're going to talk about, this idea that God is omniscient. God is omniscient, which is to say he has all knowledge. You see the, kind of the breakdown of the word omniscience, the idea of knowing something. God has all knowledge. And here's kind of the definition of that. I'll just give this to you. The idea that all of his beliefs are true and there's nothing which he is ignorant about. Um, That would include things of the past. That would include things of right now, the present going on inside us, here now, outside of us, as well as even the future. God is all-knowing. Listen to Psalm 147. Psalm 147, verse 5, puts it this way. Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. That's that sovereignty, um, omnipotent power piece. And then he says, his, his understanding is infinite. Infinite. This is not saying God is bright. <laughs> this is not saying God's sharp. It's not saying God is a genius. The, those, are, those are finite, like, human words to refer to, like, knowing a lot of stuff. This, this is maximal knowledge. He has maximal knowledge. It's saying there is no question that can confound God. There's no dilemma in our lives that we encounter that, that can in, in the least way confuse him. 
there's, um, there's no surprises to him. Uh, he has eternal, comprehensive, absolute, perfect, immediate knowledge. So there's no news to God. <laughs> Nothing is ever news to him. God knows how things work. He, he has complete knowledge of every area uh, of study. He, he totally understands comprehensively uh, biology, zoology. He understands physics. He understands geology. He understands chemistry. He understands architecture. He understands plumbing. He understands real estate. He understands every endeavor that we put our hands toward, that we seek to get a good grasp on. He has in immediate, perfect, comprehensive knowledge of all of it. But what's so cool is that scripture goes, you know, that sounds big and, and that's, ooh, that's cool, that's wow. But what's so neat is that scripture says he, he doesn't just have this like colossal knowledge and really tiny, you know, the, you know at the atomic level. Yes he, yes, he has all of that knowledge, but there's something that hits closer to home. He has even seemingly trivial knowledge, like the number of hairs that are on our head. Hebrews 4.13 puts it this way. Listen to what it says. I love it. It says, all things are naked and open to the eyes of God. Just totally exposed. Nothing covering up. That's that immediate cut. He doesn't learn stuff through other things. He has immediate knowledge of everything. The great Israelite king, you know, King David, this is the guy, if you remember, who, I mean, he wasn't afraid of anything, you know, he took on, took on Goliath. He seems to kind of never, never cower at anything. Nothing, nothing ever really pushed him back. He, he seemed to almost always just go at it. Nothing, nothing seemed too big or daunting for him. And yet when he thinks about this God who holds everything, the universe in the palms of his hand, when he thinks about this, Psalm 139, if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 139. Because what he realizes when he says that same God who, who has these piercing eyes like fire and, and knows everything. Psalm 139 is, is more personal where it says, but he knows me. And it's not that I'm more complex than those things. It's that it's me. And he knows me. And, then, and so he kind of expounds on it and he says this. Psalm 139 verse 1, it says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. This is this idea that God's omniscient focus specializes on the knowledge of him, he's realizing. David is saying this. Verse 2, you know when I sit and when I rise up. Um, nothing is too minuscule, he's saying, that, that, that slips God's attention. Um, he, is, he is totally interested. You cross your legs, he notices it. Remember like when you first started dating someone and like every little thing, oh, you know, I like how you do that with your hair or, you know, I, oh, is it funny? You always do this. It's like when we really love someone, we get that idea. We like watch every little tiny thing they do. And that's what he's saying is this God is like this, this lover. He, 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 catches, he catches the tiniest little movements of your face. The smallest thought. You blink, he catches it. An eyelash falls, he sees it. He says, you understand my thought from afar. Um, every, every midnight musing that you have, every calculating strategy about work and the next day and all the things that you're thinking about, every private worship moment, the smallest act of kindness, he sees. You never have to look and see, like, is he looking? Any of you, like, ever play a sport and you had a coach and... 
you know, you're always, you're always wanting the coach to see, like, you know, when it's tryouts, you know, when I made the steal and I did, you know, the breakaway layup, you know, right? And, it, and so as soon as you do it, you look. Are they, and, you know, of course, they're not looking. And you, ah, man. But, you know, you foul up and you mess up and, you know, oh, they saw it. You know, you're hoping they missed it. You, you, you're embarrassed by it. This is the idea that he never misses any of it. He sees every single little thing. He never blinks. Verse 3 says, you scrutinize my path, my lying down, and are intimately acquainted with all of my ways, all of my ways. He's got your itinerary long before you have it. Before you even think about what's coming tomorrow, he's fully aware of every single conversation, every interaction, every phone call, every email. He already knows all of those things. He says here, um, verse 4, even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. Um, before we speak, he knows when the anger is kind of starting to like surface and, and, and boil a little bit. Before a word comes out or an expression on our face, he knows when the fear is, you know, kind of right there near the top. He knows when our trust is building before we even verbalize a word. Verse 5, you have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. This is the idea of needs. He gets all of our needs. Behind and before, he's, he's like hedged us in. He's watching out. You're thirsty, he knows that. When you can't sleep at night and you're tossing and turning, when you have hurt, he feels that. When you're lonely, he totally gets it. And what's so cool is it's like this idea that he promises to draw especially close to you right before the need right before you really are longing for something. And then finally, verse 6, it's almost like Israel's conqueror, David, admits defeat. <laughs> First time in his life, maybe, at this kind of a God. Verse 6, he says, such knowledge, it's too wonderful for me. It's too high. He says, I, I can't attain it. It's like he says, I just better put my pen down. Because what do I do at this point? And it naturally leads to this idea of laying something down, surrender, adoration. The word we use in the Bible is worship. And see, this is what I would suggest, and this is one thing that hopefully you've been making this connection during this series. Proper theology leads to proper worship or to proper experience of God. You see, because all of us, I think, tend to kind of lean toward one side or the other. You might be kind of real heady, and you, man, I love thinking about God, and that's great, and I love all these ideas and study and all this sort of thing. But the thing is, if you, do, you can do that all day long, and if that doesn't lead you and drive you and push you to a greater experience of God, you're not doing it right. On the same, or on the other side of the coin, if you, oh man, I love experience of God, I just I want to feel him, and I want all the emotions, I want all, you know, but no, no, don't, you know, don't bother me with thinking hard. You're missing it, because you are not experiencing an accurate picture of God as you could. Proper theology, thinking hard, thinking well about God, leads us into an experience of this God. And it's a deeper experience because we're encountering the real God, closer to the real God. And when I experience him, I say, I want to know you more. So I go back over here, which pushes me over here. And so I'm, I'm doing this, and I'm going back and forth. And it's the dance again. Proper theology leads more fully to proper experience or proper worship of God. Now, real quickly, let me do, 
we've kind of been doing this series talking about this idea that what's God like and, you know, kind of contrasting it with another kind of a neighboring faith system. Um, I'm not going to necessarily point out one particular faith system tonight, but I want to talk about a particular tendency when we think about God knowing everything that can, I think, go two different places that neither one is faithful, I think, to, to the scriptural data. The first one, so it's almost kind of an objection to this idea, is this idea that, well, if, if God knows everything, like future stuff, okay, God knows what I'm going to say tomorrow, like David talked about, he, know the words, he knows the words on his tongue, he knows how he's going to respond, someone does something to him and he says, will you forgive me, he knows if he'll say yes or if he goes, no, I'm not going to forgive, he knows all our responses. Some will say, well then, are those responses really free? You know, do we even have the ability to, to choose? Because if they're known, if God already knows what I'm going to do, can I really refrain from doing it? And so you might call this idea fatalism. If you can see that there, I'll try to pull it forward into the light. Fatalism. So this is the idea that, um, well, it can't not happen. So I just kind of give up because if he knows everything, no. I, I don't think that's an accurate assumption. I think that's a fallacy. See, lacking freedom does not follow from the fact that God foreknows what I am going to do. It doesn't cause it. His knowledge of it doesn't cause it. God's foreknowledge doesn't um, necessitate that tomorrow I'm going to choose chocolate ice cream versus vanilla ice cream, even though he knows it. Because if I were to choose vanilla versus chocolate, well, then he would know that. I could change, and he would know that. So it will happen, but it doesn't necessitate. It doesn't rob us of this idea of we are actually called to choose, to engage, to make choices. It does not lead to this concept of fatalism. Well, a lot of people say, boy, it, it sure sounds like it does. In fact, there's a whole group of evangelical Christians that, that, that's kind of on the rise, which has thought, oh, I think it does lead to fatalism, and I know that's not true because the Bible doesn't talk about that. So what they do is they end up rejecting the idea that, that God knows certain things about the future. This movement's called Open Theism. Now, if you remember, we've talked before, theism means belief in God. Open, openness, sometimes you just hear the word or the phrase openness. It's the idea that God's knowledge of the future is open, meaning he doesn't know. He knows what he's going to do tomorrow, and because he's all-powerful, he can guarantee it. But he doesn't know what you will freely choose tomorrow. And so, and so there are guys like, um, you know, Gregory Boyd is a good example, a guy who has in many ways done fantastic things I've loved many of Gregory Boyd's books, but this is a guy who would fall into this camp of saying, yeah, I, I think I have to deny the idea that God knows what I, a free agent, and my choices, will be able to choose and do and say tomorrow. And so they speak of God as the great gambler, the great risk taker, because he doesn't know what you will ultimately choose or do. Um... So, for instance, you know, when, when uh, you know, the story when the angel comes to Mary, the mother of, the soon-to-be mother of Jesus, and says, uh, you know, you're going to bear the son. G did God know that she was going to say, be it unto me as you say? No, he didn't. Now, he's, he had a good guess, right? But she could have said, 
or I mean, he didn't know if she was going to go yes, absolutely, or no. I don't. I don't want that. I'm not going to. I'm not going to submit to you in that way. So he's gambling. He's this kind of grand gambler. However, I think there's a problem if that doesn't do justice to the data of Scripture. We see again and again in Scripture this idea of of Jesus, of, of the Father, of the Spirit, knowing decisions of free agents tomorrow, the next day, what they, how they will respond, and they're not good guesses. I mean, even as an example, even in Jesus' life, coming down to the crucifixion, just before Jesus' arrest, um, Jesus predicts, remember, that Peter will deny him three times. Um, and so the night following Jesus' betrayal, Peter came to kind of three forks in the road where he could have avowed that he knew him or denied him. And Jesus seems to know exactly what he will freely choose. Back up a little bit before that. Jesus was preparing to enter Jerusalem before his arrest. And he gave instructions about the Passover meal in Luke 19. This is where he said, okay, I want you to go prepare the meal for me. And he said, but before that, we need to go into the town. And to fulfill this prophecy of the king coming in on a donkey, he said, I want you to go get a donkey in that town over there, a colt. And he will have never been ridden before. And if anyone asks, what are you doing? Say, you know, the Lord needs it. So they go over there. There's the cold, never been ridden before. They start, someone starts to take it, and they go, what are you doing? The author points out, it's exactly as Jesus said, these free actions, these free responses. He knows exactly what will be stated in all these ways. Remember, go even further back when Jesus first starts his ministry and he calls Nathaniel. And Nathaniel's this kind of skeptical guy. He's not sure Philip's the one who kind of takes him to Jesus. And he says, uh, you know, he hears that he's from Nazareth and he's like, no, nothing's gonna, nothing good's going to come out of Nazareth. He'll go, well, just, just come take a look. And so he kind of comes up and, and Jesus says, uh, he makes a comment about his character. He says, you're this kind of a person. He makes like a, like a character statement. And, you th- and Nathaniel's kind of blown away because he's like, you don't even know me and yet you just, you just pegged my personality. And he said, That's, I saw you sitting underneath the fig tree before Philip even came to you. And he's like blown away. God, how did you, how did you see me? And then, and then Jesus makes this great statement. He goes, you're impressed just because I told you that? He said, you're going to be more impressed. You're going to see more fantastic things than that. He's communicating, I am the God Yahweh of the Old Testament who knows all things, who knows hearts, who sees past and the future and the present and intentions all before me. Nothing is hidden from me. So what are, what are some implications? Because we said, okay, remember doing good theology, like it, it, lead, it should lead to better life theology, how I live, how I worship God. Let me just give you real quickly three, and we could say a lot, but three kind of implications, applications to this idea of looking at God as omniscient, no limits in his knowledge. The first thing is God's omniscience is a basis for total trust in your life of him. It's the basis of total trust in your life. God never makes a mistake. He never misunderstands something. There's there's no oversight in the smallest thing. The implications of situations that are allowed to come into your life, every tiniest implication is thought is, is fully understood. There's nothing that misses him. That's why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, this is like one of the first verses, you know, that a lot of us memorize and remember as a kid here in this Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. It's easier said than done. But the, this idea of omniscience nails us down in this trust 
in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Number two, I would say, this idea of God's omniscience, second kind of application for us is, I think his omniscience is a source of comfort that God knows your heart. He, f- he has full knowledge of your heart. Um, we experience times in our lives where, where, where people misunderstand us. Um, they, they don't take into account our motives. Um, we're, we're unjustly accused of things. Um, people speak evil about us, or they malign us in different ways. Sometimes when our intentions are good, Psalm 56 talks about this idea that all day long, he says, all day long they twist my words. He's talking about this idea that people are just totally gossiping about me, maligning me, speaking these untruths about my life. And he says, it's like I rest in the idea that God knows my heart. He's the one. Even if no one else does, he gets me. He goes on in Psalm 56. He, he talks about this idea that you've seen me tossing, turning all night long. And I love this verse here. In verse 8, he says, you've collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded every one on your scroll, he says. This is the hurt. Like, he totally gets my heart. He gets when I'm really, really hurting. In the, in the ancient Middle East culture, oftentimes when a, when a young man would go away to battle, he would go buy ahead of time a little tear vial, and he would give it to his wife or give it to his mom if he wasn't married. And his mom or his wife would promise and say, I will think of you every day, and every day I will cry because I miss you so, so deeply, and I will catch those tears in this little bottle, and when you come home, I will hold it in front of you. And I will show you to prove you how much I thought of you, how much my thoughts were like always, always with you. See, Psalm 56 here is saying that when the curtain closes on your life, that when you enter the presence of God, he will wave a little tear bottle in front of your smiling face and he'll say, I didn't miss a one. I got them all. Nothing escaped me. There there was no hurt, tiny, that the the person said that nothing escaped my knowledge. I hurt with you, and I got it all, and therefore I can redeem it all. I can transform every bit, all of your tears. Also, God gets our weakness. Psalm 103, 13. Listen to what this says. This is, this is just more than encouraging. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. When you seem to really lack faith, when you, when you, uh, when you blow it, um, when you seem to kind of just lack intensity, um, when your devotion is not as strong as it should be and you feel guilty and you just, man, I wish I were a better, you know. He gets that. He knows it. He knows that you are but dust. He knows how you're made. He's not caught off guard by that. He fully gets human nature. John 21, 17 um, is the account of when, when Jesus, we talked about the idea of Peter denying Jesus. After the resurrection, remember Jesus catches them on the beach and they're, they're like cooking fish around a fire and, and Jesus comes up and, 
And apparently there's been some interaction with Jesus and Peter since the resurrection. Some sort of conversation has gone on. But he does in a symbolic way also kind of a three-time where he asks him, do you love me? And everyone's like, yeah, you know, you do. Yeah, I do. Do you love me? And then in uh, verse 17, it says, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And it's kind of this, I denied you three times. He's kind of asking him three times. And it says, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? In Peter's words, he says, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. See, when our lives are not where they should be, like Peter at this moment, God knows right where we're at. And we can go to him and say, God, you know, I'm hurt. I, I'm frustrated. I've blown it. I've made mistakes. But you know I love you. I don't have to convince you. That's the point. <laughs> we can oftentimes get into this idea that if I just convince God, if I do enough things, I will convince. He knows. He already knows our hearts. Third and last thing, God's omniscience, him knowing everything, is a source of security. It's a source of security in God's love. And I think this is the coolest thing of all. There, there, is, there is no new information about you that could affect God's love. Have you ever thought about that? Um, there's no skeletons in your closet and there's no future failings, right? Because you're going to blow it. I'm going to blow it. I'm going to do really stupid stuff. I'm going to do things that are, you know, the Bible calls sin real clearly. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to have, you know, wickedness comes out in me sometimes. I, I'm going to blow it. But God sees those moments right now. He saw those moments when he first called me. He saw those moments when he first called you. He saw those moments when he first called Nathaniel. That doesn't catch him off. If he knows the future... I can't live in a place going, oh, maybe I've blown it. Maybe he just doesn't love me anymore. Maybe I've kind of, I've committed the unforgivable sin. I've, oh, I don't, you know, and I wrestle with this guilt. He saw that before. Doesn't mean it's not sin. He was aware of it when he first called you. He knew it was coming. It's not news to him. There's this great statement that I love by Tim Keller that I've kind of put to, you know, to memory because I think it, 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 it just captures this idea so well of God's omniscience. He says, I am far more sinful and wicked than I ever dared believed and far more loved and accepted in Christ than I ever dared hoped. That's the reality of an omniscient God. He knows how deeply jacked up I am and how wicked I am and how screwed up I am and how I'm going to keep blowing it in areas of my life even though I'm growing in perfection toward Christ. But I'm going to keep blowing. I'm going to keep falling. He knows all that. And yet he loves me so deeply, deeper than I ever dared hope. He loves me. We often say to things, you know, if I had known how hard this was going to be, you ever thought, man, if I had known how hard this was going to be, I never would have got into this job or I never would have started dating this person you know, if I would have known God will never say that about you because he did know he knew when he got into it he'll never ever say that about you see in this series we've been seeking to to know God what is he like right past three weeks you can say like what is God like you know like I want to get really good so we're kind of like putting him under the microscope and seeing you know, what's he like I really want to get him as though he's kind of this object with you know which I can study like a specimen and the reality is we get to the end and we realize he's omniscient. He, he's, he's the one on the other end of the microscope. He's examining us. He sees us perfectly. There's nothing that misses his eye. 
And see, we can't go, oh, great. Well, this is, you know, I've had a, I've had a mom or a dad or a spouse who, you know, they've just been hypercritical my whole life. Now I just have a God who sees everything. No, no, no. <laughs> That's not it. Because this God, he's all-knowing, but he loves you. He knows everything about you. One of my favorite lines in this kind of quirky movie called The Fisher King has this, there's this really quirky, odd guy, and he's, he sees this girl um, named Lydia, and, and, and he's just, he's been watching Lydia. He, he really likes her, and so he goes out on a date with Lydia, and she doesn't know that he's kind of been like watching her and like just in love with her from afar. So he goes out with her, and afterwards, he's, they went on a double date, and he's walking her home to her apartment. In, in New York, and as they're walking home, he starts saying, I really like you, and, he, and he's just kind of complimenting her, you know, I like this about you, I really like that, and she just kind of goes, um, Lydia says, you know, you don't have to say nice things to me, it's a, it's a bit old-fashioned considering what we're going to do, they're right in front of her door, and, uh, and Perry says, what are we going to do, she says, well, you're walking me home, he goes, uh-huh, well, I, th I think you're a little attracted to me, he goes, yeah, well, you're probably going to want to come upstairs for some coffee. He goes, I don't drink coffee. Well, you know, and we'll probably have a drink, and we'll talk, and we'll get to know each other a little bit. We'll get comfortable, and then you'll, well, you'll sleep over. And in the morning, you'll be distant, and you won't want to stay for breakfast. <clears throat> and, and Lydia says, and then we'll exchange phone numbers, and, and you'll have to leave, and you'll never call. And I'll go to work, and I'll feel so good for the first hour. And then ever so slowly... I'll turn into a piece of dirt. And I, I don't know, I don't even know why I'm putting myself through this. Nice to meet you. And she turns to like walk away. And she runs down the street and he goes, good night. Oh, wait, 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 stop. Excuse me. Wait, just stop. And he, and he chases her down. And he kind of grabs her. Wait, just, just stop. And he says, I'm not coming into your, into your apartment. That was never my intention. He says, because I don't want just one night. I have a confession to make to you. You're married? No, 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 no. I'm not married. You're divorced. no. You have a disease. And he goes, no, no, just stop. Just listen, listen. And he puts his hands up to her mouth, and he just kind of stops her from saying any more words. And he, and he says this, it's not just tonight. I've known you for a long time. I know you come home from work at noon every day, and you fight your way out of that door, and then you get pushed back in, and three seconds later, you come back out again. I walk with you to lunch, and I know it's a good day. If you, if you stop and you get that romance novel in the bookstore... I know what you order, and I know that on Wednesdays you go to that dim sum parlor and know that you get a jawbreaker before you go back to work. And I know you hate your job, and you don't have many friends, and I know sometimes you feel a little uncoordinated, and you feel just like you're not as wonderful as everybody else, and feeling as alone and as separate as you feel you are. I love you. I love you. And I think you're the greatest thing since spice racks. And I would be knocked out several times if I could just have the first kiss. He said, and I won't. I won't be distant. I'll come back in the morning, and I will call you if you let me. And by this point, her eyes are like white as saucers. And she reaches out and touches him, and she goes, you are real, aren't you? <laughs> See, to have someone who knows you, knows every part about, knows that you're insecure, because you're insecure, I'm insecure, knows that you're weak, knows you're frail, knows that you screw up, knows how selfish you can be, knows how you're angry, all these, and goes, and I love you, I see it all. They could tell you about your day in a lover's voice, like going, I see you when you go to work, and I know when you sit there and you start having all those feelings and those, and those thoughts come in your mind, and you, 
See, only this God, only this God can give you that kind of love. Would you stand and pray with me? Father, like the great warrior King David, in the reality of standing before a God like this, we begin with those words, Oh, Lord. Wow. What can we say? You know us inside and out. You have hemmed us in behind and before. This God with all these lofty thoughts who created the universe. We always, always, always have your immediate attention. Never a moment like a child who falls asleep and a parent who just watches the face. Even there, you see us. When we're totally unaware of your presence, you are there. You're in our heart of hearts, that, that holy of holies. And you're working, and you're changing, and you're transforming. And you want us. That is too lofty, God. We put down our pens, we put down our, our work, we put down our lives, we put down our aspirations, and we, we just say, this is too lofty for me. And so, so we surrender, God. We give you all. Father, as we go out this this summer away from in this, this kind of family connection that we have right here. God, would you imprint things on our hearts through our experiences? Would you grow, grow us? Build us in relationship with one another? And God, would you through us spread this thing that we call the gospel, this simple message in, in a nutshell which says you are far more wicked than you ever dared imagine but you are far more loved than you ever dared dream. Help us to live in that reality, recognition, true recognition of who we are, and yet boldly walking into your presence because you call us sons, you call us daughters. No guilt, no shame, but every morning, help us to shake off the crust of self and to turn our faces to the one who has been watching us all night long as we've slept. We love you in response to you loving us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've got a few minutes here. Um, we, have a, we have kind of a cake reception. We've done this every year at the end, and it's just time to be together. You know, we're, we're together at, the, at every night, but we've got cake tonight, which is awesome. So um, go grab a piece of cake, get, get something to drink, hang out. Our prayer team is going to be up front the sides here. If you would like prayer, we would love to pray with you. You guys, I love you. Thank you so much for being a part of this, for being a part of this community, and um, we'll see you guys this weekend.